Oh, yes. Oh, 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 yes. It is time again. My friends, welcome back. By this point, you are even beginning to hum the introductory music to Twice the Lutheran. Welcome back. It's time yet again for another rich, nutritious, calorie-dense meal as we feast together on the Word of God. Welcome, welcome back. This episode is a milestone episode, if you can believe it. This is the 10th episode already. Where has the time gone? It flies when you're having fun. The 10th episode of our adventure together, twice the Lutheran. I'm Pastor Wells, as I have been for 10 episodes now and will be. But you spell that with two L's. It's Pastor Wells with two L's because I am twice the Lutheran. That's why you're here. Hey, I also want to have a conversation with you. I feel like after 10 episodes, we know each other pretty well by now, don't we? I think you know that you're not here to waste your time on this podcast because if you were, you wouldn't have shared the podcast link in the kind of numbers that you've shared it. I so appreciate you spreading the gospel good news. I so appreciate the opportunity to use these vocal cords to massage your eardrums. Once a week. This is, after all, where all the happy people are. Have you smiled today? Of course you have. Of course you have, because you've multiplied your Lutheranism to twice the amount it used to be. And you're here to smile some more on this Monday morning. Happy to have you. But here's my request to you. As you can well imagine... For all the fun we have together, there are some costs involved with running this podcast. I would like you to help me offset the costs. Would you consider doing that? My goal, I just need 10 people at least to give $5 a month. That's it. That should just about cover the costs of running this podcast year by year. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you like spending time with me, and maybe you're willing to forego just that one visit to Starbucks one time in an entire month, think about supporting the podcast, would you? You can do that on PayPal, podcast at twicethelutheran.com is the email I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. Podcast at twicethelutheran.org. And I'm on PayPal with that same handle, with that same email. Think about it. I would love to have you support it. It's time to get on with our journey together. 
in this milestone episode. By the way, 10 episodes, not the only milestone we're marking, 600 total downloads. You people have been crazy enough to the tune of 600 downloads to stick with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. But it is time to press on with our adventure together. In the Catechism, we are now finishing up the first table of the law. Did I not tell you this is a milestone episode? It is! We're ready to journey together into the exciting depths of the second table of God's law in the Ten Commandments. And you're thinking, Pastor Wells, I don't remember what that means. There are two tables, and I say, yes, yes, a feast so grand, it takes two tables to serve it. You'll remember that we call the first table of the law commandments one through three. In those commandments, we have been studying our relationship to God. The first and most important relationship that you have in life. The vertical relationship. You and God. That's at the heart of those first three commandments. You shall have no other gods. Commandment number one. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Commandment number two. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, spending time with God, working on your relationship with God. That's commandment number three. And now that we've wrapped up the first three commandments and we have a better understanding of the vertical relationship in our life, now God is going to give us some good direction in the horizontal relationships in our life, the relationships that we have with the fellow human beings with whom, whom's, with whom's we live. That's the second table of the law. It talks about our relationship with each other. And the second table of the law, if the first table closed with the third commandment, the second table opens with no surprise here, the fourth commandment. That's the commandment that has our attention this morning or evening or whenever you're listening to this. So what is the fourth commandment? Ah, you astute people. You ask just the right questions at the right time. Here's the fourth commandment, and there's something very special about this commandment that you're going to hear as we study it. Here's the fourth commandment. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And every good Lutheran, nay, even twice the Lutherans, always ask, sounds good, but what does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not dishonor or anger our parents and others in authority. But honor, serve, and obey them, and give them love and respect. 
We should fear and love God that we do not dishonor or anger our parents and others in authority. We'll talk about who those others are. But what should we do instead? Honor, serve, and obey them and give them love and respect. I've heard it often said, and I even remember hearing it as a kid, and I had a problem with it as a kid too. People would say, well, you gotta, you got to give respect to show it. No, wait, no, that's not what they say. You got to give respect to get it, right? Show respect to get it. Or others would say, well, I always respect those who respect me. I get, I get the sentiment. I get it. And I even agree, yes, it's easier to show respect to somebody who is showing you respect. It's a lot easier, a lot more pleasant. But are there some people that deserve respect because God says they deserve respect regardless of how they're acting? The answer is clearly yes. Yes, there are some people that must have your respect. And you'd say, well, they're not respectable people, though. And I say, but God is. And to the degree that you respect God and God's authority is the same degree at which you will respect the authority he has invested in those who are his representatives on earth, those who have authority around you. Now, who's that? We're going to get into that. But yes, there is just a blanket level of respect that you must give to parents and others in authority. And again, I agree that if they act in respectable ways, it makes the job a whole lot easier. But respect must be there because God says so. All right, let's jump into the catechism. If you're following along, I'm on page 68 Page 68, here's what it says. The fourth commandment speaks specifically about our fathers and mothers. They are the primary representatives God has placed over us, but this commandment really addresses our relationship with all of those God has placed over us. So who are the representatives God has placed over us? And notice the use of that word representatives. They represent God to us, which on the one hand puts a big responsibility on parents. If you are a parent, if you're a father or a mother or a grandpa or a grandma, you represent God himself to your children and grandchildren. Now, don't let that go to your head. That should drive you to your knees in humility. Lord, give me the strength and the wisdom to do that. That also means you are under obligation to know a lot about God so that you can be his representative, so that you can speak for God to your families. But in order to speak to God to your fa- for God to your families, you got to know what God says. If you want to discipline your children the way God wants you to, then you've got to know, what does God say about my obligation to discipline? When should I discipline? How should I discipline? All of this comes into play. And now you begin to realize just how big the responsibility is 
as a representative of God's authority. And that's only one aspect. That's just in the home. All right, let's grab some passages. Who are the representatives God has placed over us? Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And there you have what is so unique about the fourth commandment. This is a commandment that has a promise attached to it. Now be careful with that. Remember that God is not just some little toy that lives in a box that you can convince to dispense treats or blessings through your behavior. That's not what we're talking about. God cannot be manipulated through the fourth commandment. As if, if I just obey my parents good enough, then God is going to give me stuff. That's not at the heart of this commandment, and that's not even at the heart of faith. If at the heart of faith is really just closeted selfishness and self-centeredness, that's not, that's not an act of faith at all. That's an act of selfishness. Instead of viewing it as the commandment that I can force God to bless me through, we instead step back and say, how great is God that he would give me a commandment that I want to follow and he attaches a blessing to it. Wonderful. I want to follow this commandment just like I want to follow all of God's commandments because I'm so thankful for what Christ has done for me on the cross. I want to serve God. I want to do the things that make him smile. And not only that, he heaps blessing through it? Wow, through this commandment. Now, he doesn't say what the blessing is going to be. It's not like you honor your parents and then a million bucks falls into your lap. We're not talking about that. But we are saying by honoring the authority around us, blessings come to us, blessings of peace as we honor the government authorities God has placed, the blessing of joy. As I get into my, well, how old am I? Middle 30s? <laughs> oh, it's hard getting old. Everything hurts when you're 30. Towels are scratchy. My lower back always bothers me. But when you get to be my age, you'll understand too. <laughs> As I get into my middle 30s, I find that I enjoy and appreciate the relationships I have with my parents and, uh, yes, even my in-laws. I know my mother-in-law listens to the podcast. Hi, Mama. I know my mama, too, listens to the podcast. Hi, Mama. And those are relationships that are just especially dear to me, as I, especially as I grow older. There is one blessing God gives you right there in the fourth commandment, uh, the joy that you can experience in a, in a good relationship with your parents. That is a blessing in and of itself. And I think my dad and my father-in-law tune in too. But you can't tell them guys nothing. <laughs> Careful. Treading the line on the fourth commandment, Pastor Wells. So God has given us authorities who are over us in home as seen in our parents. 
Now, that relationship with your parents clearly and obviously uh, evolves over time, right? I don't have the same relationship with my mom and dad that I did when I was six, when I was five. I mean, the relationship clearly looks different, right? You live at live with mom and dad full time, and you, your job then when you're five and six is very simple. When mom and dad say clean up your room, you clean up your room. When they say come to supper, you come to supper. When they say wear this shirt and not that shirt, understand it's a very simple relationship when you're five and six. And yet even when we're five and six and things are simple, boy, we're pretty good at rebelling. As dad to my own five- and six-year-olds, I will tell you firsthand, they don't always like obeying. So your relationship with your parents does evolve over time. At 35 and 36, whichever I am, I can never remember, my relationship with my parents looks different. But the fourth commandment does still apply. Right? It doesn't ever go away. It's not like you turn 18 and all of a sudden the fourth commandment isn't a thing anymore. So what exactly does your relationship with your parents look like as you go through life, as they get older and you get older? You have to wrestle with that. And yet the Lord says that as you wrestle with that and as you apply the fourth commandment to that relationship with your parents in every stage, in every epoch of life, there is blessing there to be found. When I was five or six, the blessing was I didn't get hit by a car because I listened to mom and dad when they said, don't go in the road. When I was five and six, the blessing was I didn't walk around in dirty laundry. I didn't go hungry because my parents fed me. When I'm 30 and 40 and 50, the blessing is peace and unity and increased joy in increased service to your parents who served you for all of those years as you watch them get older. You take care of them. We'll talk about that more coming up in this commandment too. So there is blessing here. Rich joy and blessing. Now the world doesn't see any of it, right? Because we don't like to talk about authority in the world. But the reality is there are people who have authority over you. And to the extent that you recognize God's authority over you, you will also recognize others' authority over you. But God gets to decide who those authorities are. And he has said, it's your parents. But that's not the only authorities he's given you. Back in the Catechism, page 68, Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So we're talking about another group of leaders that we are to submit to, and the writer to the Hebrews says, this group of leaders is the leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And you'd say, well, that was my parents. And I'd say, yes, that is true. Your parents are responsible for your physical and your spiritual health and care to a certain extent. 
but your parents also partner in your spiritual care with your church. The leaders who speak the word of God to you are those who serve in leadership positions in church. Those who speak and preach and teach the word of God to you in an authoritative, called way. Namely, the probably the most recognizable one, although there are others, pastor. There's this sort of idea that pastors nowadays, they're like, they're like gurus or guides. They're your buddy. They're your pal. And you know what? There's maybe some elements of that that are true. You hang out with me on this podcast because I am awesome. That much is true. And yet, when I introduce myself on the podcast, it's Pastor Wells. Why pastor? There's a lot wrapped up in that title. It's not a title I gave to myself. It's a title God's people gave to me. It's a title God himself gave to me at my call, in my ordination. When I moved to Watertown and became a pastor at St. Mark's, when that happened, my first name disappeared and was replaced with pastor. Now, what's the job of a pastor? Well, there's a lot we do. We sit around and drink coffee. We lounge around with our feet up on the desk, right? (laughs) Do you believe me? Now, there's a lot pastors do, but at the heart of it is speaking the word of God. And we do so not in an advice-giving way, although there's advice there. That's true. We do so not in a, you know, cool dude, Sherpa, you know, guide on a journey kind of way, although there's some of that to be said. But pastors do speak authoritatively from the Word of God. So that when you hear pastors speaking the Word of God, it is God himself speaking. Now, pastors especially have to be careful with that, right? If I have an opinion on what color carpet we should have at church, that's my opinion. That's not necessarily God's opinion. We have to remember that. Pastors, when they, when they are speaking the word of God, they are exercising that authority God has given them. When they are speaking their own personal opinions, yeah, you're free to disagree with me. I might think that lime green carpet looks pretty cool with a three-inch shag pile. And you're like, uh, no, I want wood floors and marble tiles. You are free to disagree with me on that. But when I speak from the word of God and say, for instance, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, and you say, No, he wasn't. You are not free to disagree with me on that point because it is a point God himself is teaching. And so we do argue that point. By the way, I don't think lime green carpet with a three-inch pile shag would look good. Just making that clear, okay? But if you have it in your living room, well, then I love it. But if you hate it, then I hate it too. (laughs) See what I'm doing there? 
So remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and obey your leaders and submit to them. So when I am coming to you with the word of Christ, you cannot disagree with me without disagreeing with God himself. You have authorities there in church. So home, authorities are parents. In church, the authorities there, the called leaders. And now Romans 13.1, still on page 68, haven't even made it through one page yet. Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For no authority exists except by God. And the authorities that do exist have been established by God. You know, this is a this is a tough one when we live in such politically charged times. In fact, this weekend, well, by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be over. The sermon will be over. But this weekend coming up in church, again, in the past tense now for you, we're talking about Christ uh, when he taught in, in, in the scriptures that you must give unto Caesar what is Caesar and, and to God what is God's. And the Bible encourages us here, again, Romans 13, 1, to submit to the governing authorities. That can be such a touchy subject because we live in such a politically charged time. And we can often forget about this one blanket statement that God makes. No authority exists except by God. And the authorities that do exist have been established by God. You might not like the government. I might even agree with you on a lot of points. But it doesn't change the fact that God himself has established the governments of the world. God himself deposes them and moves them around in ways that we sometimes find hard to keep track of. We might even think he does that in ways that are just so undignified. We might think that he puts in power people who who don't deserve to be in power at all. And you might be right that that's your opinion, and, and that might be the human perspective. Be careful, again, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and that means you're not God. You don't get to say, well, gee, Lord, if you're asking me, he ain't, he's not. Now, you have the opportunity in the United States to have a little bit of an input with voting, okay? But even that's become a a tough narrative all of a sudden, huh? So in these politically charged times, we should find even greater comfort in that sentence from Romans 13. No authority exists except by God. And the authorities that do exist have been established by God. So there are authorities over you in society, the governing, the governmental authorities. And there's one more that's thrown in here. Colossians 3. Slaves obey your human masters in everything, not just when they are watching you like people pleasers, but with sincere heart, out of respect for the Lord. Whatever you do, Keep working at it with all your heart as for the Lord and not for people. 
Well, there you have it. The Bible supports slavery. Slaves obey your human masters. Ah, not so fast. Let's explain that one a little bit. No, the Bible does not support slavery. Never did. Slavery was never a religious institution. It was always a a governing government institution. It was always a societal institution. Just like a lot of things are instituted by society and not by the church. Slavery was one of them. So in that in that quote from Colossians chapter 3, Paul is just recognizing the reality. Some of you Christians are slaves. I know a lot of people come at it from the other perspective. Well, the Christians were all slave owners. Well, some of them were, yep. But some of them were slaves themselves. Slavery had existed in basically every society, in every uh, generation, in every century of the world, in every part of the globe until the United States. Yep. I know that's kind of a blanket statement. It's maybe a little more nuanced than that. But finally, you you have a society without slaves. That wasn't true in Paul's day. There were still slaves. And so Paul just simply recognizes, yes, some of you Christians are slaves, and as slaves, is it your job, your duty, to throw off the shackles of oppression, to upend society and change everything? No. Not in that macro sense. He didn't say, go find yourself a gun and lead the revolution against slavery. That's not what Paul said. But he certainly does turn the whole idea on its head when here he says, do your work as a slave in good conscience, working for God and not for people. When the slave's attitude is changed, and later on Paul will uh, encourage another man in the New Testament to receive uh, his slave back as a brother, a fellow Christian, and treat him accordingly, that is uh, a quiet way of revolutionizing society without throwing off and rebelling against the governing authorities. Remember in Paul's day, a lot of uh, the government... A lot of slavery, rather, was enforced by the government. There were rules and laws there. If Paul said, "If you if you have the opportunity get your to get your freedom, do it. If you have the opportunity to vote against slavery and ending it, do it." But again, the church is not here to take up arms and revolutionize things. Why? Because the government has been established by God. We submit to them. They'll talk about the nuance there. What if they command us to do something God has commanded us not to do? Well, then you rebel. But you don't rebel by by revolutionizing society. You just rebel by not complying. Then you have to undergo the punishment that comes to you for not complying. And that's legit. But nowhere does the Bible speak a breath of revolution, take up arms and overthrow government. That is not Bible talk. And so here, where's the revolution? It's in the quiet life of the Christian. 
as we live out our Christian faith. So even in good conscience, as children can obey their parents, slaves in Paul's day could obey their their masters. Now, (coughs) excuse me, we don't have slavery anymore. So does that mean Colossians 3 just doesn't apply, that we don't need it anymore? Well, no, because nowadays we have employees and bosses. And maybe some of you are like, look, there is a lot of parallels between my job and slavery. I get it, brother. I get it. I've had 26 jobs or something like that. I get it. I get it. But what does God say that our attitude should be as employees then when we're employed in a God-pleasing, allowable career? Whatever you do, keep working at it with all your heart as for the Lord and not for people. You conduct yourself in your job, in your career, in such a way that you bring honor to the Lord. Even if the boss doesn't see, even if you're not compensated all the way for it, you still know that your heavenly Father sees and that he is much pleased with your work for him. Now that reminds me, Earlier in this week, by the time you're listening to this, it'll have been last week, I was away at a conference. A conference is when just a whole lot of Wisconsin-centered pastors get together, and you know what we do when we get together? We study. Doesn't that sound fun? And it is fun. Some of the smartest guys I know, all in the ministry. So we got together and study, and uh, a shout-out and a hello to my classmate, uh, Pastor Jacob Haig over, I think he's in Michigan is where he's serving. Um, we brought him in to do a, a presentation on uh, sanctification, the way we live our lives. And he preached a wonderful sermon. I think the theme of the sermon was, I love what you're doing for me says the Lord. And he had this wonderful illustration of our sacrifices, the Bible says, like rising up into the nostrils of the Lord that he smells it, and it's like for him smelling a a fine dining meal, a five-course meal cooked by a Michelin chef. Is that the word, Michelin? I think so. It's also a tire, so I always get those mixed up. And the realization is, you are the chef. You're the one in the kitchen. And the Lord attends the restaurant. He comes to the restaurant and he he tastes the meal. And for him, it is the finest meal. It is the tenderest and juiciest steak. Scallops. And seafood. And whatever whatever else is a, a succulent meal. And it all is enjoyed by God. That's what your works of service for God are. And even when you go to work with a bad attitude or you're grumpy, even there the blood of Jesus Christ fills in what is lacking in your service to God. So that because of Christ's blood we can say, 
all our finest deeds are received by God as a 10-course, 11-course, whatever meal. And he says, thank you. I love what you're doing for me. I love your heart. I don't know what your job is. I'm thinking of the men and women in my life that I know and love. Some of them are probably washing dishes right now. God says, thank you. I love what you're doing. Some of them are working laboriously. God says, thank you. I love what you're doing for me. I love that you're you're serving me by swinging a hammer for me, running the welder, doing the wiring and the plumbing. I love what you're doing for me because you're working with a joy-filled, faith-filled heart. And in faith, it all becomes a wonderful offering to the Lord because he sanctifies all of it. He makes all of it holy. That's what sanctified means. He makes the whole thing holy through his blood so that whatever Christians are doing with joy and faith in their hearts, it is a wonderful sacrifice to God. Thank you. Thank you for serving God. Whether you're doing that at home, whether you're doing that at work, in conversation, Whatever it is, the Lord receives it. And let your conscience be at peace with that. Enjoy that. Let that put a smile on your face. The Lord sees you today. He sees what you're doing and he loves it. It makes him smile. Because Jesus Christ washes it all in his blood and it makes him smile. Let's dive back into the catechism, huh? So we've talked about the representatives God's placed over us, our parents, those at church, and those in the government. And those really are the, let's say, the three areas of society that God sort of categorizes or a way that we can categorize them, church, home, and government. That's how God brings you your blessings, church, home, and government. So how does he exactly do that? How does God bless us through those people that he's placed over us? Let's talk about that. How does God bless you through his representatives at home, in the home, your parents? 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his own family, and especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow, that is a, that's a shocking statement. If you are not providing for your family and for your household, you're denying the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, the Bible knows, and we know, that there are sometimes things that get in the way of doing that, right? Somebody has a, a a physical handicap or a mental handicap. Okay, those are exceptions. What really is at the heart here is the able-bodied man 
who is able to provide for his family but does not, refuses to do so, refuses to take responsibility for his family and say, I have a duty and an obligation here to provide for them. If a man is turning his back on his family and says, I owe you jack and squat, then he's denied the faith. And he's worse than an unbeliever. What makes him worse than an unbeliever? Because even unbelievers recognize they have an obligation, at least a family. Sometimes those outside of the faith have stronger familial bonds, stronger sense of obligation to their family. Now, it doesn't make a lick of difference in that case in God's eyes because it's done apart from faith. But there is not a conflict between the faith and the family. In fact, being in Christ, trusting in Christ, means you're all the more ready and willing to meet your obligation to take care of your families. You know where I see this one play out especially? I've seen it play out a hundred times. Divorce. When a divorce happens, I've seen, I would say, especially but not exclusively, Uh, Men trying to hide resources, uh, trying to, I don't know, uh, reclaim or keep resources, withhold them from the family that they are leaving. First of all, we'll talk about divorce itself as a bigger issue in the sixth commandment. But how about that? that first application they're providing for your family? Even the secular court recognizes that that man still has an obligation. They call it child support. So even apart from faith, the court system recognizes that a man is still obligated to take care of his family. Don't be a scoundrel, okay? Even if you're going through a divorce, don't be a scoundrel and do that kind of thing. You have an obligation. And you have to carefully consider how exactly to divide up the resources that you have. But they are not your resources. They're a resource for your family. Use them for such purposes. A man ought to look at all that he has and consider them as resources for his family. That doesn't mean you give absolutely everything to the kids that they want. When they make a demand, you give it. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in your mind and in your heart, parents ought to be considering the things, the blessings God has given them as resources to take care of family. Now, there's other things that God wants us to do with our money as well. And we'll get to that. But in this specific instance, we're talking about being God's representative at home. We have an obligation towards our families. And it's not a burdensome obligation. It is a wonderful blessing, and every man should consider it a blessing. The greatest blessing that God has ever given me is people. That's God's favorite thing. He's not worried about house and money and cars and all the all the material stuff that so often has our attention. Yes, yes, he provides for it. Yes, he takes care of it. 
Yes, he's even got things to tell you about how you should take care of it. But what is God really focused on? People. And part of God's love to us is shown in the people he gives to us. God loved me so much he gave me a wife. And if that wasn't enough, God loved me so much that he's given me children. People are God's favorite. And what a high blessing and honor from God that he would give us each other. People. And what a high honor and blessing that God would consider you and me so responsible that he says, you'll be able to take care of them. Because I'm going to make sure that you have everything you need to take care of them. Don't turn your back on that. You understand why turning your back on that is so ruinous. Because it's not just about the stuff. It's about the people. It's about the lives and the hearts and the souls involved. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush here. I know. But it still remains true. Because God said it. Provide for your family because it's a blessing to be able to do so. Now, what do you owe your family? Not just stuff. Proverbs 1, verses 1, 3, and 8. I'm on page 69. We've made it a whole another half page here. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, to acquire discipline and to act sensibly... Listen, my son, to your father's discipline and do not forsake your mother's teaching. There's some good assumptions that are made here. First to you, mom and dad. What does God assume that you are giving to your children? Discipline and teaching. Why? So that they act sensibly. That's what it says right here in Proverbs. To acquire discipline and act sensibly, listen to your father's discipline, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. So first to you, mom and dad, make sure you're disciplining in godly ways. Make sure you're giving that teaching. And then to your children, submit to it and listen to it. Don't be so stubborn that you turn your back on it when they are giving you God's discipline and God's teaching. And how how about one more here? Deuteronomy 11. Put these words of mine into your heart and in your soul. Tie them on your wrists and signs as signs and symbols on your forehead. Teach them to your children. How do you do that? By talking about them when you sit in your house and when you travel on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Here's a closing thought for us today. Parents, what's the number one thing you owe to your children? It says right here in Deuteronomy. You owe them the word of Christ. You owe them God's word. Do not dare neglect that high and holy responsibility. And how do you give them God's word? He says, put them in your heart and in your soul. Tie them on your wrists as signs and as symbols on your forehead. 
If you want to, you can go get it tattooed on your forehead. I wouldn't suggest that personally. But his point is, you gotta have the word at hand and on the mind. Do you see that? So where's your Bible? Get it off the shelf. Read it to the kids. Talk about it. That's literally what it says right here in Deuteronomy. Teach your children by talking about them, about the words of God. When? Whenever. When you're sitting at home, when you're traveling on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, this is a mark of our life together. We Talk about God's word. To this end, I am especially blessed, and I praise God for it. I don't think that one visit goes by with my parents and my in-laws that we don't talk about God's word. I don't think that one visit hasn't gone by when Grandpa says something to my kids about God's word encouraging them to memorize it and live in it and love it and cherish it and make it central to their identity. My friends, this is a building block for your home. This is the cornerstone of every good marriage and every good parent, every good man and every good woman. Not just in the world's eyes, but most importantly in God's eyes. Make the word of Christ your highest treasure. And what parts of God's word? Fathers, husbands, I'm going to speak especially to you. Take your women and your children to the cross. That's what they need from you. Your wife needs to see on the cross her sins washed away in the blood of Jesus. Your children need to see their sins taken away by the Son of God. And they will learn it when they see you there. When you kneel at the rail to receive the body and blood of Christ. When you live your life as a man of God in humble repentance when you see your sins sacrificed through the bloody sacrifice of Jesus and you teach your wife and your children to see the same, you will have a happy and blessed home. And if you are so blessed that your parents did that for you, then honor, serve, love, and obey them. And if they didn't do that for you, you can display it to them. Take them to the cross too. Can you even believe it, my friends? Can you even believe the time is yet again upon us to bid adieu, to bid farewell, to say goodbye, to say see you later. And for those of you who speak Spanish, see you later too.